0: And our pet vet today is David Tabret, and good morning
1: to you. Good day, Jane Klein. How are you? We'll say good day. <laughs> well, we're shortening everything.
0: We yep. are. So we've got a special subject today.
1: Yes, today I thought we'd talk about. Now, Jane, do you like going to the dentist?
0: Oh, I love it.
1: That's not the answer I was looking for. However, sometimes our pets don't actually like going to the vets. And so we're going to talk about a a development of protocols in hospitals now called fear-free or low-stress handling. And what does that mean for our pets when they have to make a visit to the doctor or the dentist.
0: It might help us too. Mm. Mm. And Danny Carrington here. Hello, Danny. We've got a, a great interview lined up, haven't we?
2: Hi, Jane. Yes, look, snake season is about. So we're going to talk about what to do to protect yourself and why they are about, why they are out.
0: We will be talking to reptile expert Tammy Basley in just a moment. To a new RFM, it is 22 past 12. Danny Carrington, we're... Uh, Finding out about something that gives some of us the shivers, I (laughs) think. That's
2: true. Snakes. Even me, actually. Even me. Um, Look, we've got Tammy Besley, who's our resident reptile expert. Welcome to the show, Tammy.
3: Thank you.
2: And we've spoken to Tammy a number of times about all sorts of different reptiles, including snakes. Look, why I wanted to talk to you was, last week, a woman died in Western Australia from a snake bite, and we're... Really, not even in spring yet, so why are they out so early?
3: Because we've had strange weather um, it's sort of throw, it's like us it's thrown the animals, so animals that would normally be still hibernating and just sort of thinking about starting to come out now. They're obviously their bodies being thrown because we've had hot weather, we've had cold weather. So some are still hibernating. However, some are starting to come out now. Some may only come out for a day or two and go back into hibernation a bit. Whereas others may stay out and, and choose to stay out now and start sort of feeding up and looking for mates and stuff like that.
2: So. um In terms of starting to come out now, when do we hit that peak season where uh, most of them will come out of hibernation?
3: Look, most of it is sort of once we we sort of – some will come out in spring, some more into summer – The the busiest time is sort of between the spring and summertime when we've got all the nice weather. That goes into your breeding seasons for most of your reptiles as well as a lot of your frogs. Um, So, of course, before they start to breed, they've got to put on the weight. So they've got to feed and stuff like that. So most will start coming out sort of you know, early spring, um, and then, yeah, they'll just slowly, you know, there's no set time. It, it It's not like, you know, the 1st of September they start coming out. A lot depends on the individual animal. It will depend where it's hibernating, what the weather's like in the spot it's in. It will depend how much food it had leading up to hibernation, all that sort of stuff. Um, so there's no set rule. But, yeah, generally now you need to start sort of watching out. There's not a lot around now, but they are starting to come out.
2: Um, in our area here in, in Newcastle on the Hunter Valley, which are the dangerous snakes we need to look out for and what do they look like?
3: Um, most common that most people will get are um, your red-bellied black snakes, mm-hmm. which are your obvious, which most people know. They've got your black and then the red on the belly. Um, Some not necessarily a bright red, some it's a duller red. It will depend on the snake. Um, And then we've got probably more so your your eastern browns. Um, Now they vary. Your babies can either be a plain sort of a tanny brown colour or your your babies can be a striped. So they can be a brownie colour with a dark stripe like around their body basically. Um, A lot of people mistake them and think they're like a tiger snake or something, but they're actually a brown snake. Mm. Some babies don't have the stripes, but so you've just got to be careful. Um, As they get to around the 12-month mark, they start losing their stripe and they've just got the the brown body on them. Um, Some areas you can get... You know, a few of your other sort of venomous snakes, but your most common ones we tend to find and that people need to be a lot more alert of because they're more common, probably your brown snakes and your black snakes.
2: So if if we were to see a snake in our backyard, what's the best thing Mm -hmm. to
3: do? Try to stay away. Um, The closer you get, the more it's going to see you. Snakes are, are... quite blind so at a distance they can't really see you so if you're within a couple of metres of the snake you, you're you probably okay um, if you get to like a a metre or less, they can see you, some not as good as others, but they they still see you. The snakes go for movement. So if you're still – generally the snake can't see you, you look like a tree or something in the garden that's not a threat to them. Whereas when you're moving – that's what scares the snake, which then makes it want to strike out. So keep your distance. If you do happen to be up close and not realize, stay still. Wait for the snake to to actually move off itself. Um, if you do have to sort of move and you know you feel that you just can't stand still and can't be very, very careful, go very slow step back, but watch the snake as you're stepping back. But you are recommended to stand still and let the snake move off first.
2: I've seen uh, you you talk about standing still and that's the wise thing to do. Because even if you were running, they are very quick, aren't they?
3: Yeah, look, you know, the problem is when you're running, you've got the fear. You're not running probably to your full speed. A lot of people, when you're scared, you tend to look back to make sure you, you know, the threat's not there. So that slows you up as well. But by you running, it's, it's either a food source to the snake or it's a threat to the snake. So it's going to, it defends itself. We're bigger. So it's scared. Um, it doesn't necessarily do it to eat you because they're not going to be able to eat a human. But, you know, our venomous snakes, yes, they will, they can make you very sick. They can kill you depending on how much of a bite they give you, I guess. But, um, yeah, just, you know, the biggest thing is, is try to keep in mind that the movement is what is scaring the snake.
2: Tammy, look, thank you very much for that information. And as always, it's wonderful to talk to you.
0: Not a problem at all. Thank you. The number to ring Pet Chat on if you've got a question you'd like to put to our team here is 49216216 and Dr David Tabret, That's exactly what Wayne has done from Lemon Tree Passage. Hello, Wayne. Yeah. Yes, you've got a question for the boys.
3: Uh, yeah, Well, I've got a fox terrier uh, dog and I've just had a service. I'm just wondering what signs I'm looking for if he's pregnant or not.
1: Oh, well, congratulations, Wayne. You're going to be a grandfather. (laughs) Now, is this the first time that she's uh, been mated? Yep. It is? And how old is she?
3: Uh, She's two years old.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, So basically, there's a number of things that you can do to determine pregnancy. Most people sort of just wait because really the overall course of the, you know, the, uh, gestation, the the pregnancy and so on, you know, isn't that long. So in some regards, I think, you know, we often use palpation. So it's a worthwhile thing is to go to your vets in probably three, three weeks. Yep. And they'll be able to have a palpation, a feel through the skin of the abdomen and very often skilled veterinarians to be able to give you some determination. However, that, um, you know that's always prone to maybe getting it wrong, and there's a number of other things that can be done. So one of the other things is an, an ultrasound yep. to look, and that can be done a bit earlier. Um, so in that regard, sometimes people are looking, for instance, say so they might want to count the number of puppies, check the health, um, you know, yeah. the, and and just make sure things are developing okay. Oftentimes that would be done because maybe uh, a, a bitch, a dog, has had problems with a previous pregnancy, yep. um, so you know you might want to be a little bit more attentive about it. And then the other choice also is that you can actually get hormone assays done to look at progesterone levels, and that'll actually give you a much better picture of. Uh, the, you know, the adequacy of the hormonal levels to maintain pregnancy and obviously diagnosing it. So it's oftentimes we start off with the palpation, but if you have some concerns, then, you know, there's blood tests, there's ultrasounds yeah. that can be done as well. I guess uh, externally there's not a lot that you could probably notice? Yeah, well, it's been
3: about three weeks now. Okay. So. And it's about 62 or 63 days, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so
2: normally, right. it's, normally you start seeing it at about five weeks that they will actually be bigger where in their size. Belly looks where their belly bigger. looks a bit bigger. It's not until then that you start yeah. seeing. But before that, one, one thing that you should be able to see within two weeks is the nipples will be enlarged.
3: Oh okay. Yes. He's a little fatty anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you yeah. keep an
2: eye on and remember what they looked like before to what they look like now. That's just yep. one little thing.
1: It's been 3 weeks now, so it's probably a good idea also is to make sure you do have a visit to your vet. Mm. Not just yeah. to diagnose, but also you need to talk about diet, um you need to talk about uh you know vaccination, worming and what happens around the birth of the puppies, you know? If things get into trouble, what are you looking out for? So you need all that information up front uh, so that you go into this ready for, you know, almost any eventuality.
3: Yeah. I'll definitely take her up to the vets. I was just wondering whether there's any early signs. Mm.
1: Well, as as Danny said, I think you'd, you'd notice something in a couple more weeks, but... Well, prob- she, is
3: a, she is acting a little bit funny, too.
1: <laughs> oh, that's the um. weather. <laughs> 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 no worries. Thanks, Wayne. Okay. Good you. on you, Bye. Wayne.
0: Thanks for your call, Wayne. Four nine two one six two one six. If you've got a question you'd like to put to the team here, and uh, in the meantime, David Tabaret, um, what about your special topic? Let's think oh, about Jane, yes. fearless going to the dentist or the vet. Well, depending on fear- whether it's us or around.
1: fearless is is one word, um, but, but I guess that implies that we're going into an environment where fear is. Uh, an expected reaction. What we really want to talk about is an environment where fear is not part of the reaction. And so um, it's given different names, and it's a bit of a push within the veterinary industry is to uh, create an environment for our pets so that when they visit, they experience a fear-free or a low-stress environment. Now, this has a number of um, benefits across not just for the pets and owners but also for the veterinary staff and from my own experience you know in working in emergency we often see pets when they're most distressed obviously can be in a lot of pain and things like that so that coming into that environment is very uh, upsetting emotionally and physically so whatever we can do to lessen that psychological impact, and that just means that we pay attention to a number of things. So, for instance, our staff have undergone a wide-ranging and comprehensive training uh, that we've got from the United States, and now we're a certified hospital in this area of low-stress handling, and it revolves around just paying attention to the body language and the signals that the pets are giving us paying attention to for instance where do we set up the chairs in our waiting room so that we're not having dogs and cats mixing together um, do we put cats in one particular room how do we get them out of the box or the cage that they come in how do we approach a dog that's on the ground and wear a tall you know presence standing over them if we come in and rush into that dog we make the dog's natural reflex is probably to just jump back and say, hang on a sec, you're coming a bit too fast. And uh, for a lot of dogs, their experience of visiting us is, you know, they've been to the vets before and they may not have had the best experience. So there's that natural fear comes up straight away. We've looked at things like, uh, you know, different ways of, say, wrapping up um, cats, for instance, with towels in a way that allows us to examine them properly so that they're calm and so that the staff are protected. Uh, because one of the biggest injuries in uh, veterinary hospitals is animal bites. And um, from our own experience, we've seen the incidence of bite wounds to the staff uh, decrease dramatically. So it's a better experience for the pet. The owners actually see this happening and, and say, gee, you, you guys are handling these, you know, my pet really well because normally they're terrified. And uh, obviously for our staff, it's a much better experience. And if if we take away or even look at what is the experience uh, we're saying about the psychological experience, but stress and fear generates cortisol, adrenaline, all of these reactions inside your body, you know, we hear of the flight or fight response, but actually that can be harmful if we've got a sick patient. So it's not just about, oh, I don't, I don't want to get bitten, which is obviously true, but it's also about what's going to be best for the pet. And uh, it's a, it's quite a interesting area which might seem as well wouldn't you do that anyway but at the same time we've we've probably paid attention to the medicine part and to delivering you know good clinical care Uh and just expecting or anticipating that well owners will train the pet before they come here and I think we we need to recognize that in in itself this can be a stressful visit regardless of why they've come in so I think that's where we We're looking at, in in medicine, in human medicine and dentists, they talk about this thing called white coat fever where you go in and if the doctor's wearing a white coat, you know with kids, you go in now. And I've taken my son to a dentist and, you know, there's colourful murals on the wall, there's a television on the ceiling so that as you sit back you can be watching and they put headphones on so you can be watching something up there rather than concentrating on the sound of, say, the drill or whatever it is sounds like I'm picking on dentists, doesn't it? <laughs> but <laughs> but, I, but they've recognised it, haven't they?
0: Yes, it's probably an appropriate comparison, actually. Oh, like absolutely.
1: Analogy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's a, a good comparison if we look at kids' experience because, you know, uh, kids don't often... They're not able to voice how they're feeling at the time. Maybe they can't find the words. Um, so a visit to the doctor or the dentist can be a little bit frightening in that regard. It's a little bit invasive, obviously. Same sort of thing with pets. So... Uh, the fear-free or the low-stress handling has huge benefits for uh, pets and, and how they interact with veterinary hospitals. And uh, we'll see a lot more of this. And I um, went to a conference in July where they had a speaker come over from the United States and he spent a whole day talking about you know this push to develop the programs in uh, animal hospitals. So I'm really keen to see what people's experiences are when they visit the vet. You know, is their pet, does their pet love it, or are they uh, you know a bit more standoffish? Would rather be elsewhere, so. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yes, okay. And just how they're treated can make a really big difference to how they respond and how they get better too, I suppose.
1: For, for next time as well. Yes, mm.
0: Yes, indeed. This is Pet Chat for our sponsor, the Pet Shop Boys, on 2NURFM. We'll be very happy to take your calls on 49216216 and we'll have our Pet of the Week in just a moment. It's 20 to 1. This is Pet Chat and we're. it's time to look at our Pet of the Week, Danny Carrington. Who have we got? You'll notice I say who.
2: We've got the lovely Sally. Oh. She's twelve months old and she's a stag hound cross. Now, stag okay? Stag are an energetic breed. They're a hunting, hunting type of breed of dog. So big, Australian presumably. Account, fairly big in size, exactly, and want to run. But they're also very loving, and that's what Sally is. She'd be very suitable in a home where she's not left alone and isolated, but rather with another dog and also with a family. She's great around children, excellent with kids, loves to cuddle and play with them, and she's very gentle with them as well. She, she loves that interaction with other people and the family and she plays happily with other dogs. Now we are looking for a home for Sally so if someone would like to take her we want to hear from you and you can contact Anita on 0400 107 603. Um, There is also pictures of Sally at www.dogrescuenewcastle.com.au and also on the Pet Chat community page here at 2 FM as well.
0: That's 2 fm.com. This is Pet Chat and we do it for our sponsor, the Pet Shop Boys. Uh, David Tabret, Dr. David Tabret, you're talking about uh, keeping your pets free of fear and how your vet can help, but can we actually help our pets?
1: It's a really good question, Jane. I think the the approach I would suggest for people who feel that their pet isn't comfortable in a in a veterinary hospital or in that environment is that it's it needs to be a long-term approach. You can't just walk up the first day and say, oh, if we do this, it's going to change. So what are some of the things you can do? Well, first of all, talk to your vet and the veterinary hospital about this and say, look, my pet has had experiences where they're not happy coming in. What can we do? Because if you approach the vets before and the hospital beforehand, they may be able to make some suggestions. So one of the things is, for instance, they'll say, well, look, let's schedule a visit when there's nobody else in the room, no other pets coming in at that time. That may be helpful. Some dogs, that might actually make things worse. So again, it's that conversation. Another really important one is don't feed your pet before you go to the vets because it may be that what we need to do is use some counter conditioning which is where we uh, might use food treats to for the dog when say we're looking in its ears or we're going to look at its feet and so if they're getting that pleasant experience of oh I come to the vet and I get these treats you know then the next time they're going to be more comfortable
0: and if you feed them before of course they're not that, that impressed takes,
1: yeah. about the extra food so yeah um, if you get to the vets and you know your pet seems very wound up Maybe be backing off and saying, look, we're going to have to come in another time, you know, let's reschedule. So be prepared to adapt and read your pet when that occurs. Now, if, for instance, you're taking your dog, it's very important that, first of all, they're on a lead. Secondly, uh, that they're on a lead that you can control them with. I see a lot of people walk into the vets, and yes, their dog's on a lead, but it's on one of those retractable leads and they've set it to free, And so the dog runs straight across the room at another dog that's sitting there who suddenly goes, whoa, what are you doing? You're in my space. You know, that causes trouble. So don't let your dog just run around, even though you say, well, it's on a lead. Yes, it is, but the lead's 40 feet long. If you have a cat, for instance, then they need to be comfortable with traveling in the car. A lot of cats hate this, of course. And I find one of the things we look at is the different design of cat carriers are very important. Um, Danny, you would have seen, obviously there's a whole range of them The ones I like are where we can take the lids off That's critical
2: At the top Yes Yeah. Well, yeah, there is carriers where there's the doors that are at the front of the cage For example, and it's like a tunnel yeah, and they're, and they're plastic and there's some holes through it which they can still see a little bit out but it's still a bit bit covered. They're fairly good for puppies but for a cat, the wire, wire crate yeah. with a lid over the top, the carry cage, I think that would be good because they can see what's happening.
1: If we can unclip the whole thing, yes. what I like to do with cats in the consult room you know we want to examine the pet and everything and so we're tempted to go in and go let's get the cat out and the owner says I'll get the cat out and everybody spends them we all get scratched and cat's not happy what we can do is we take the lid off right but we've put a towel over the top of the cage so now the tower, the cat is sitting under the towel in the cage and nothing's happened it's very calm and i can actually then just wrap the towel around the cat very easily and pick it up it's well controlled and um, now interesting thing is what we do is we actually obviously use fresh towels every time and we spray them with a calming pheromone for cats called fell and it actually makes cats feel a lot calmer so we put that towel over the cage let the cat settle settle down I'll talk to the pet owners and by this stage now the cat's quite comfortable so if we have those conversations beforehand, if you've got the right carrier, for instance, and if we know what are the triggers for problems, then perhaps we're going to have a better experience overall for your pet and for you as a pet owner.
0: Now, dogs love travelling in the car, usually, don't they? They get excited about yes. that. Yeah. Um, but cats, not so much. Is that right?
1: Well, some cats are actually, you know, quite contrarian about this. You know, we say people say, "Oh, I mean." Cats hate water. Well, some cats love water. So, you know, cats hate travel. Some cats love travel. Generally, it is true that, you know, the shorter distances are are better for cats. And I think the other thing you can do with your cat and your dog is that rather than just saying we've got to go to the vet because there's a problem, how about you go to the vet just to walk in and walk out again and just let the staff know, look, I'm just going to bring my animal in. We're just doing a visit just so they get used to the smells, the noise, the lights, whatever it is, we'll just walk in, he'll have a treat, we'll walk out. And if you do that a few times, you know, it's only going, if they're down the road, it's only 10, 15 minutes that you're out from home and back. If you can do that a few times, how much happier is that pet going to be when it's time to go in, say, for a vaccination visit, or if they're ill, you know, they walk into a place that actually is quite a safe, happy Calm environment for them, and I guess from my point of view, as a, as a you know, a pet uh, veterinarian and from staff, we have to remember to say, Okay, let's just go a little bit slowly, let's not rush into these things, let's moderate how the volume we are. We, you know, very important thing with dogs never look them in the eye. So, if I need to examine a pet that's on the ground, a dog that's on the ground, I'm going to kneel down facing away from the dog. And just get it used to my presence beside it and noticing how the dog's reacting. Now, a lot of, lot of dogs will sit on their owner's feet and that's actually a thing called social support. It just makes the dog feel like, okay, I've got someone else with me, it's all going to be okay. Some dogs that's fine and I just need to watch and observe how they're reacting so we're not going too far, so we're not reinforcing maybe the fear that they've had before few of those little tips will make a much pleasant ex- more pleasant experience for you and your pets. Fear free. Fear free.
0: You don't have to brave the challenge. <laughs> and that's Pet Chat <laughs> for today. Thank you very much, Dr David Tabret. Thanks, Jane. And Danny Carrington.
1: Thank you, Jane. Pet
0: Chat will be back next uh, Wednesday after the midday news on 2NURFM. And you can catch this program on podcast through 2NURFM.com or even through iTunes. It's four minutes to one. News coming your way from the Hunter newsroom to NURFM.